<laughs> like it's like being in church and you don't want to laugh, and uh-huh. then it just makes the laugh like ten times worse. I also heard that a sneeze is like one sixteenth of an orgasm. You are listening to EMS with your hosts Eric Axine and Matt Ball. ECMO. Let's talk about ECMO. No, I got some. I want to ask oh. you a question. Oh, you got questions. Okay. Well, we're going to lead into ECMO. Oh, okay. But I'm just curious. Do you know what the three most deadly diseases are? Three most deadly. Now, are we talking I was, like. Well, I, was, I was reading about the like top ten bin? most deadly diseases. Like, are we talking about the most heart people. disease? Is that. That's number one, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, heart okay. disease is by far number one. I mean, it's like you add up all the Especially traumas and cancers, it won't yeah. even equal that. And so. whatever. So what's so that's number one, okay. the number one greatest killer. What's and and heart disease? Uh, it's a trick question. So uh, number two is stroke, but they consider that a cardiovascular okay, I was, I was disease. So that's stroke. together. So number one and two are kind of you know kissing cousins. Is that the right term? Sure. And never mind. I'm not going to say. Kentucky. Kentucky too. That's so. Bad. I got a sister that lives in Kentucky, so I, I feel like I can. Say I love. That. I love. I've been to Kentucky. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. Uh, number uh, three is trauma. I don't know. Uh, no, no. I thought maybe they'd list trauma as a disease. Well, because those are both both stroke yeah. and heart disease or cardiovascular diseases. Number three Sepsis. surprised me, mm-hmm. and I haven't verified the data, but um, it lower respiratory infections, pneumonias, and things like oh, that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's the number three. Well, you think about older people, nursing homes, yeah. they get pneumonia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. So now let's. How do we get to ECMO from there? Well, some of the most deadly diseases we treat that we can make a difference in, I think, are cardiac arrest patients. We talked about this in our cardiac arrest lecture we did a couple weeks ago. The the survival rate of -of out-of-hospital CPR or cardiac arrest is about 9.1% in adults, 11.4% in kids, I think we talked about, out-of-hospital. In hospital, different game. But out-of-hospital where we work, um, less than 10% of our patients mm-hmm. are surviving. And so uh, that's, that's, we'll get to ECMO because I think ECMO is so exciting because now we could take this patient demographic, a portion of them, we'll talk yes. about it, yeah. and we can save a whole lot of lives mm-hmm. by using this technology, this amazing technology, ECMO. And we really, it's been around a long time. Yeah, but since now the 90s, it's, right? Yeah. Yeah, they've been using it on little kids, yeah. I, I know when, when I was back when the earth was young and in my training, we were using ECMO for little babies with cardiac yep. abnormalities where we had to bypass the, the circulation in the lungs to you know, Fix the transplant or whatever we had to yep. do. Um, it was a life-saving uh, piece of machinery. It's amazing what yeah. it does. Yeah, it's a simple machine from what I understand, but I mean, yep. small, portable. They use it in helicopters. We talked to a flight nurse, and she said it's really neat to watch. But. Well, and ECMO, you know, extracorporeal, uh, which means outside the body. Right. Um, membrane oxygenation. Membrane oxygenation. Yep. So basically what you're doing is you're bypassing your lungs and your heart. Yep. Um, and the machinery is 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 uh, oxygenating the blood and pulling the CO two out and adding the oxygen yeah. and reheating it too. Yeah, it, there's a bit of heat component mm-hmm. to it yeah. and and putting it back into the body, and that gives the lungs and the heart a chance to recuperate or do whatever you need to do yeah. uh, while you maintain oxygenation of other vital organs like your brain. Yeah, um, specifically. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what ECMO is. Um, and I don't think we need to jump in and geek out on that. No, I think um, we're going to have some other parts where we're going to bring in some people yeah. and talk yeah. to some experts. Yeah. Yeah, this is part and, one, kind of an introductory yep. thing. But I think this one we were going to talk a little bit about, not a little bit about, but mainly focus on 
as because our audience yeah is mostly pre-hospital providers Mm -hmm. and how does this change what we do in the field because it doesn't (laughs) whether i mean the the little intricacies of how ecmo works that's cool yeah and it's fun to geek out on that stuff it doesn't really matter to us us. yeah because we're not now i will say that the the we recently started doing ecmo in my department and we've had one crew uh and i mean really recently started doing it um, and one, we've had one uh, crew take a patient down there, and they said it was what was really neat. And what I think is really neat, and maybe we could talk about this, is is how much more accepted the pre-hospital providers are becoming by the hospital providers. You know, mm-hmm. back when I started as an EMT paramedic, the nurses didn't really care for us much. They they didn't re- a lot of I think a lot of um, older generation nurses, maybe even physicians didn't really see EMTs and paramedics as real providers. Right. And now they're realizing the dramatic impact that we have on the the healthcare system as a whole. And they're like, they're, we're doing a lot of really good things. If that doesn't get you excited. A, yeah, have a massive impact <laughs> on patient outcomes. Massive impact. I think uh-huh. ECMO is, a, is another new part of that. Yep. And so when this crew specifically got down to this facility, they made that crew part of the ECMO team when they got there, and they mm-hmm. were helping them do stuff. They still had them on their Lucas yep. device. Yep. And it was really neat. Uh, it's really yep. been a neat thing to, to experience. I think it would be worth briefly discussing some of what – now, I, I know we've been using ECMO a long time, but I think what was really brought ECMO to the forefront was yeah, COVID. For sure. I think – and. You know, when you get COVID, we're not going to dig deep into this, but you, you're really just shooting your lungs to hell. Right. That's really what you're doing. Right. And it's not the COVID virus, the coronavirus or the, you know, whatever. It's a, it's, that's yeah. what it is. It's a coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not the virus that really causes the problem. It's your body's inflammatory response to it and the fight that happens to, to kill it. Yeah. It's like um, anaphylaxis. It, right. Yeah. It binds to the pneumocytes. And, yeah. and, and, when, and that's where the battle takes place. And, and we destroy our lung tissue. And remember, we talked about this in previous lectures. It's a, our lung tissue. If you've laid out all those alveoli flat, yep. uh, it would be the surface area of a tennis court, one cell thick. Yep. And underneath that cell thick membrane would be 6,500 kilometers of tiny little blood vessels exchanging gases through i mean it's just an amazing interface so an amazing organ right and we've yep. talked about this on our our, yep. our uh, lectures, ce lectures right um phenomenal i mean just amazing pathophysiology it's incredible yep. but the point is is that when covid would destroy the lung tissue um of the vast majority of folks on the ventilator we're, we're dying right. because of the barotrauma of the ventilator and the diseased lung organs, uh, the, the, the alveoli that were mm-hmm. diseased and, mm-hmm. and, and munched up. Um, and so by putting folks on ECMO, you bypass the lungs, let them heal yep. while you're, you're using the ECMO to oxygenate right. and you know, remove the carbon dioxide from the blood. Um, and you're able to give the lungs a break. Yep, yep. And the heart break too, I suppose. Yeah. You can look at it that way as well. And uh, because that's the benefit in cardiac arrest, right? Same thing, same sort of philosophy. Yep. Usually what kills people, in, well, let me say, why do people go into cardiac arrest? Medical cardiac arrest, what is the, the usually what's going on? Pump problem. Usually pump problem. Yeah. And so usually the pump is diseased and it needs to be fixed. And somebody in cardiac arrest, you know, we're only surviving, only about 9.1% of these folks are surviving without yeah. a hospital cardiac arrest. Yeah. When you grab the right patients mm-hmm. and you select them and you put them on ECMO, fix the heart, and these folks are, are, are leaving the hospital 
neurologically intact. Neurologically yeah. intact yeah. at a much higher rate yeah. than fifty percent. Well, that's yeah. the current, right? Yeah, right current now, that's data right. is saying fifty percent or better. Right, and and ECMO doesn't mean you're going to live. It just right. I, the, what I was reading today, um, an article that came out in Gems. Uh, it, it looks like about fifty percent survival rate when you're on ECMO. So half the people die on ECMO. Right. But when you're looking at what's less than 10% survival? Yeah, exactly. Now, if that's again, you or somebody you love, I'm mm -hmm. taking those odds all day long. Right. Yeah. Right. So I think that's significant. That's exciting. It is exciting. And I think we should be excited at, you know, as, as first responders, as firefighters, EMS. You know, um, our number one job in the fire service is to save lives. Yeah. That, that is our number one job over... You know, property, all that other stuff is secondary to saving people's lives. And, you know, that's not just from fires. That's not just from car accidents. Uh -huh. uh, I, I would say, with I know for a fact that I have had a greater impact working in people's lives uh, as a paramedic than I have a firefighter. Mm -hmm. I have, I can remember one fire that I have been on where somebody was pulled out of a burning building. One hmm. in 18 plus years. I've had numerous, uh, numerous in my department, numerous CPR saves, numerous people mm -hmm. who have come back from kids all the way to older people, you know. So um, if that's our goal, we should be super excited about ECMO uh -huh. and what's our role in ECMO. Mm -hmm. And it's not really, it does change uh, how we work CPR. And there's lots of Things like you were talking about. There's lots of reasons why somebody gets put on ECMO, respiratory problems, COVID, things of that nature. But we're specifically talking pre-hospitally with the CPR patient, right. the cardiac arrest patient. Mm -hmm. um, that And to qualify, we're not talking about the 90-year-old male Oops. in a nursing home that's had a stroke and has no quality of life. That's not a patient in ECMO. In, in my department, we did we studied it when we launched it. And in 2022, we had 152 cardiac arrests uh -huh. throughout my city. And we looked, and only 12 of those patients would have met the ECMO criteria. Yep. And there's a lot of different criteria out there. You yeah. have one here. Um, and, I'm, and I don't think I mean, this is, this is from on the East Coast, yeah. but um, in, in, in we're here in Texas yep. and in California. I mean, things are going to be a little bit different. But I think the basic stuff, from what I can tell, is pretty... pretty uh, Pretty consistent. Yes. I mean, it's yes. it's got to be a witness Age range. Witness, yeah, witness cardiac arrest. arrest yep. Yep. Um, bystander CPR. Yeah, now ours is within five minutes. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. what is? Why would they include that? Well, I th I think it's it's pretty obvious. We've talked about this in our cardiac arrest lectures. When you have bystander CPR and you start that early, yep. you decrease that slope of death. We yep. you know, yep. and, yep. and uh, it improves survival. It keeps you, that brain perfused. Yeah. Which again, ultimately. We're going to get the heart beating again, but if the brain's dead, then what's the point? Yeah. You start that circulation early, you're keeping that brain perfused, you're buying but, time. But there's a chance, right? Always a chance. Yeah, so yeah. we should always do ECBO, right? With every cardiac arrest. Yeah. Well, why don't we do that? Well, the problem is we actually were looking at launching ECMO prior to COVID. But mm -hmm. then COVID hit and every ECMO machine in the country was being used. Mm -hmm. And there was waiting lists to get on ECMO. Limited resources. And so, yeah, yeah there's not a ton of ECMO facilities. There's not a ton of, mm -hmm. there's not an unlimited amount. I mean, heck, we were running out of ventilators during COVID. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you put every single person on ECMO. And two, like I was listening to a, a podcast about ECMO and it was talking to a, a, a physician that does this. And the other side of it, too, is that you don't want to put a patient that isn't going to live past ECMO on ECMO. Right. Because they were saying that it's very difficult 
you have grandma or grandpa that you put on ECMO and you know now grandma and grandpa are awake and the family's thinking, oh, this is fantastic. And you have to now go in and explain to the family that the only reason why they're awake is because they're on ECMO. And the minute we take them off, they're not going to live out. So, yeah, not everybody needs to be on it. And I think when you look at the data, the survival rates are X, Y, Z. And and we're not going to be talking about a lot of that now. But when you get over a certain age, the the, the utility of putting somebody on ECMO. So it's a real fluid sort of a criteria that For different sure. agencies will employ only because in certain communities there may only be X number of ECMO, right. you know, opportunities, facilities. Yeah. facilities. Yeah. Whereas in maybe some other metropolitan areas, like, you know, here we are in Dallas, we've got a fourth largest metroplex in the country. We've got multiple sites that are doing ECMO. Right. So maybe we can handle more. When you look from a population health perspective, what is the chance of somebody going into cardiac arrest and and which of these patients would be viable? We may be able to capture a larger portion, which would impact what our criteria would be. So that's kind of why we're not getting into the details of the criteria. But but the criteria will usually relate to survivability, which Mm -hmm. is going to relate to, was it witnessed cardiac arrest? Uh, was there bystander CPR? Yep. Um, and we obviously we talked a little bit about being in an initial shockable rhythm. Mm-hmm. Uh, PEA greater than rate of X Y Z. Twenty is what I use in our protocols. But yep. um, and then age is yep. another thing. Yeah, and yeah. A, a lot of the age is is kind of subjective. Yep. Uh, I know they were telling us about a case at a local city here where the patient was, I want to say he was like 72 or 73 years old, but he was a very fit 72, yeah. 73. Uh, went to his gym like he did every morning, was on the treadmill and collapsed. Yeah. The gym staff recognized that, obviously recognized witnessed. he collapsed. Yeah. So it was witnessed. Yeah. They immediately, they were all CPR trained. Uh-huh. They recognized he was in cardiac arrest. They immediately be- began compressions. The crew got there. The firefighters, and this is kind of what we're going to address today, is what do we need to be looking for? They recognize, geez, this guy's a little bit outside of the age range, but they wouldn't have looked at this guy and thought he was 73 years old. He looked very fit because yeah. he kept himself in shape. They All the other factors were in place. They called the ECMO team. They said, hey, this is what we got. They said, bring him. We'll try it. Yeah. They brought the guy there. All the other indicators were there. That guy walked out of the hospital neurologically intact like a week later there was another case a 46 year old uh, patient was not witnessed but because of his age and because of the way he appeared they decided let's go for it give it a shot walked out of the hospital yep so it's 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 really neat Um, and like you said there's a lot of that inclusion criteria is there is there any more that you well a couple other things i mean uh you mentioned living independently that's a factor going to a nursing home for a 90 year old uh who's bedridden i mean it's not that that life is less valuable. No. It's just that the chances of survival are so low that utilizing the resource of ECMO, um, it's a limited thing. You you want to have the highest chance of survival. It's almost like triage, right? Yeah, it's post-ECMO. Is yeah. this patient going to have a quality of life? ECMO is not a forever solution. It's a bridge to a transplant. It's a bridge to recover, <clears throat> putting in a cath or whatever. And is that person going to have a quality of life afterwards? Even if you had a 50-year-old mm-hmm. that maybe suffered a stroke or had a massive head trauma yep. and has no quality of life, is on a ventilator, like yep. that person doesn't have the reserves to survive a cardiac arrest and you yep. put them on ECMO. So 
you they have to be selective of who yeah. they put it on. Um, but that is very subjective. Like yes. I say, you might have a 75-year-old that really meets the criteria and a 50-year-old that doesn't because yep. of their comorbidities and yep. so on. And um, you could have a 22-year-old that meets criteria that, uh, you know, depending upon the, the region you're in, yeah. may not meet criteria. I mean, right. it, it, it's uh, uh, there. there's a little bit of, um, uh, I guess, wiggle room. Subjectivity yeah, to, the, yeah. to the criteria. And in this particular um, agency, they would communicate with the facility and even discuss it with the physician, yeah. uh, potentially, Every within time. the first 10 minutes. That's what they, okay, yeah. yeah. So everybody's a little bit different in how yeah. they do it. So mm -hmm. ours, we have an inclusion <clears throat> criteria, and I think it's important that we talk about how does this change our response as pre-hospital providers. Yeah. Because for years, we have been you know, really hammering on stop rushing to the ambulance in a cardiac arrest yeah, situation. Yeah, We've been yeah. talking about this, especially like PD patients. Mm -hmm. Dose of diesel, right? Well, in this situation, we want timely dose of diesel is what yeah. they need because there is a, a window, a time frame yep. that's anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. 30 minutes here and yeah, I think 45. 45 for yeah. us. So it, it depends um, on, on, you know, whatever each individual inclusion <clears throat> criteria is, but there is a time window. Yep. Um, and we have to abide by that. And so we can't spend 20 minutes on scene working a code. If I have a 20 minute transport time, that's not going to work. work. So we have to, as pre-hospital providers, we have to be thinking about this. When we get toned out to a CPR, we've got to have ECMO on our brain. And when we get in the ambulance and we're looking at the notes, we have to be thinking, just based on the notes, okay, am I going to an assisted living facility, a nursing home? Don't worry about ECMO. The, the ECMO is probably not going probably probably to be a camp. Yeah. yeah, probably not going to be a candidate, right? Is the patient 90 years old? You know, are mm -hmm. they you know, of an extreme age? Does it say that they're a cancer patient mm -hmm. or something like that? Or is it saying 55-year-old male, wife called, husband just collapsed? Yeah. Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, so the call that we actually had in my department was a, uh, it actually came in as a seizure call, was what hmm. they originally got called to. And right before they arrived on scene, they were notified by dispatch that it was now a CPR in progress. Luckily, uh, there was a very uh, alert paramedic on scene that when he got in, recognized the patient was very young. Mm -hmm. And all the other started realizing that all the other indicators were there and quickly made that assessment. And so that, I think, is the biggest thing for us as pre-hospital providers is if you're a medic on the box, mm -hmm. you're looking at your notes you're keeping ECMO in your mind. Like you said, yep. if we're going to a nursing home, probably not an ECMO candidate. Looking at the age, oh, 55, 50-year-old 50 male, 60-year-old oh, male collapsed. Staff at the nursing home. Staff at the nursing home, maybe, yeah. 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 Um, this might be an ECMO candidate. Then my priority when I'm getting on scene as the medic is, is my, is my patient meeting that criteria? Are they yep. in a shockable rhythm? Maybe the officer's talking to the bystanders. Did someone mm -hmm. witness the collapse? Did somebody get on the chest within five minutes, so on and so forth? Yeah. And then quickly making that determination, okay, hey, this is an ECMO candidate. Now what do I got to do? Put in a supraglottic airway, mm -hmm. throw on whatever kind of mechanical compression device you have, Lucas device or pulse, auto pulse, auto pulse or whatever, mm -hmm. get them loaded up and start heading to the hospital. Now a lot of that too will depend on, you know, if you work in a major urban area, you might be only five minutes from an ECMO center, but I would assume that most people probably are going to be a little bit further out. We're 
15 to 20 minutes probably mm -hmm. from our, our closest ECMO center. So I've really got to be cognizant about my time you on scene quick. and I got to get there because that 30 minute or 45 minute mm -hmm. is from the time the patient went down to when they arrive at that facility. Yep. It's not a when we arrive on scene. Yep. You know, so we have to really be yep. thinking about ECMO in uh, route to the call once we get on scene and then we have to make that determination quickly and, and get moving. And it really makes sense that we optimize our on-scene time with, with some of these situations mm -hmm. in that we're not doing anything they can't do there. Right. But if we have a situation where they can do something we can't do, you know, whether it's like a trauma, blood yes, products, exactly. or surgery with yep. you know, yep. surgical emergencies yep. or whatever, uh, we got to load and go. Yeah. And so this is one of those situations. We're smart. Yep. We can identify the situation, identify a potential candidate, load and go. Now, in Europe, they've been doing this for years in the field. These ECMO teams and surgeons, uh, there's a really neat picture when it was uh, presented to us. I told you about this, and I thought it was really cool, of the ECMO team doing an ECMO procedure at the floor of the Louvre. That's I mean, it was cool. just like that. this picture is That's amazing cool. to me. But, yeah, they've been doing it in Europe for, for years uh, in the field. And there's places uh, that have ECMO teams that are doing more mobile. And I think that's going to become more and more yeah. common yeah. Um, because wow. it just does show real promise for having super high success rates. You know, it's just, if, if you could just step back for just a moment uh, and think about what's going on here, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were treating sore throats with kerosene. Yeah. Or baldness with, what was it? Sap from a cherry tree? Yeah, a, a grapevine. Yeah, a whatever. Grapevine. But, but man, the, the, the me medicine in the last century has just exploded. Yeah. And the fact that we, in the pre-hospital environment, can identify patients that we can bypass their circulatory system yeah. and, and keep them alive and go from a 10% mortality rate all the way up to maybe even close to 50%. Yeah. Uh, I mean, amazing. That is amazing. And you think about just in the last, what, 30, 40, 50 years that EMS has been around. Yep. And we used to just be ambulance drivers and a taxi service. And now you look at the complicated things yep. that we're learning and doing in the field, finger thoracostomies and identifying oh, I, I, I mean, it's amazing. It's exciting. I find it exciting. Uh, yep. it's, it's really neat. The, this ECMO thing is really neat to me. I think this should, this should get all of us excited yeah. uh, this is this is really cool when you have that high a percentage of saving lives that much higher percentage of saving a life i think we should all be excited about that well i think this is a good intro to ecmo yeah. um and the physiology of sneezing and, and <laughs> yawning that yawn. <laughs> was good it's good intro so we talk about ecmo we talk about what it is if, you know just surface level yeah and um, our follow-up we'll talk to some people exactly. like i said that do this and give us some more data and and kind of see this a little bit more firsthand be cool and if you're listening to this and you you know i know we get a lot I mean, all over the country yeah got our students um and you don't have an ecmo program and you hear about it get excited about it yep. don't be afraid you know this is just something that uh saves lives yep. and uh, being part of it i think we have a responsibility if if there's if something we can do to improve mortality this significantly absolutely uh something we need to get on board with for sure yeah Man, it's great talking about this stuff. Yep. I'm looking forward to part two. This is really yep. good. Cool. It is the weirdest thing that, like, what? as soon as he starts rolling, like, we'll be having a conversation, everything's fine. As soon as we start filming a podcast or sees, I start getting this overwhelming <laughs> urge to just want to go, and like, it's like being in church and you don't want to laugh, and uh -huh. then it just makes the laugh like 10 times more. Do I bore you?
No, it's not that <laughs> it at all. I don't know what it is, but it's this thing where it's like, uh -huh. and I'm sitting here holding it. <laughs> Have you, you ever tried to hold shoot, back? Were you shooting up some heroin? <laughs> Because you know that makes you the opiates make you. I wish no. I take a Norco on the side. Yeah, smoking a little of the you know. Yawns are contagious. I don't know. I know when when I'm having a meeting with one of my colleagues. You just yawn to make them yawn. Well, because I'm like I feel like I'm always tired. Yes, and and I'll yawn and then I could see him fighting it and I'm like I know their eyes and I'm like. I'm, I'm sometimes I'll fake yawn <laughs> just to make him yawn, you know, and, I, oh, that's and it, funny. it works every time, yes. and I don't think he realizes it. And you just keep doing it to the same guy. <laughs> yawning uh, is so funny. Well, now we're I'm not doing it on video. We're not so talking you about yawning today. Yeah, but, no, we're not talking about yawning. But go ahead and yawn. No, I don't need to do it yet, because uh -oh. we're laughing. We're, I don't know what it it's is. It's kind of like sneezing, As soon as too, you right? get off into the weeds, well, then you can say purple, and that ends the sneeze. Sneeze purple? Yeah, oh, yeah. If you, you oh. got to sneeze, just say purple, purple. Well, so I something. just say bless you before I can see somebody's yeah. like, and I'll say bless you. Yeah. And like, and then, oh, oh, you stole my sneeze. Yeah. <laughs> I also heard that a sneeze is like one-sixteenth of an orgasm. <laughs> it's like a, there's a pleasure to it, I guess. I mean, well, I think seasons feel good. Or, well, I won't get off I, I don't know why I, so I said I that. Had I shouldn't have said that. Debbie's really bad <laughs> one time on a call. I was yeah. transporting this lady to the hospital, yeah. and for some reason, I got the hiccups. And I mean, they were persistent. They would not go away. And the whole time I'm hiccuping and I'm trying to do my thing, we get to the hospital, and as we're walking in the room, she stops. And she goes, you're having a hard time getting rid of this. I'm like, I'm so, so sorry, you know, and I'm doing this. I'm like, I'm so sorry. And she goes, no. Was it that she, frequent? That, like, uh, Not that frequent, but yeah. it was consistent. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was yeah. trying to hold my breath, everything. She goes, no, no, look in my eyes. On the count of three, your hiccups will be gone. One, two, three. And I swear to God, like that. I'd fake hiccup. <laughs> no, no, it was so crazy. Just it worked? like that. It worked? She goes, that's an old Indian trick. And I'm like, are oh, you really? kidding me? And oh. she goes, yeah, you just got to like redirect your brain, lock in on my eyes and count. And literally, I stopped hiccuping. Do you know what I do? What? I scare people. <laughs> I scare them. Like, I'll smash the table. Well, that would work. I'm yeah. going to call you the next time I... I also hear if you hiccups. drink upside down. I've done that. I've yeah. done the straw under the tongue. Oh, yeah? Yeah, all kinds of Sweet, weird stuff. Wait, straw under the tongue? I've heard if you put a straw under your tongue... And then you drink until you... I, I think it's all just a redirection of your brain. I, I really think that's... kind of reminds me of the Vitology book, you know, yes. curing baldness with, with sap from a grape tree or something yes. like that. Yes, laying down with your knees up to your chest. I've done that, and that's actually worked for me. For baldness? <laughs> for baldness and hiccups. <laughs> obviously, it didn't work very well. It obviously worked for Love you. Love you like a brother, man. <laughs> all right, let's talk about a cool... Well, real quick, though. Oh, we, you, what you know, got? We, no, well... I'm about to yawn. What do you got? <laughs> well, you know, you can steal a sneeze, right? You can, okay, yeah. But hiccups, though, you know, I wish they you could steal my... And oh, they, it's so frustrating. Yeah, we, we have... It's, a, it's an ER chief yes. complaint. People will come into the ER because they can't stop hiccuping. For days. Real, yeah, it can really cause That will cause drive pain. you insane. Yeah. Oh, can, can you imagine, like, trying to sleep and just doing this mm -hmm. every... Oh, and sneezing can be detrimental too. Horrible. There's a tremendous amount of force with a sneeze. Yes. And those uh, similar to an orgasm, you said one <laughs> one sixteenth of, and that's what of I, the force. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's measure that. We'll design a study. <laughs> How do we design that? Study? We are going in the wrong direction. Uh, we're here, going Matt. off in the weeds. Wrong 